Welcome to the Sharp Angles Betting Podcast. I'm Ryan McChrystal, flying solo this week. So let's dive right into the week nine action and get things started with the Cincinnati Bengals hosting the Cleveland Browns. We've got the Bengals favored by two and a half in this game, total set to 46 and a half. Before the season, who would have guessed that this would be a meaningful game, let alone maybe the best game of the week uh, with the injury to Derrick Henry, with Aaron Rodgers uh, being out due to COVID. You know, that, that's ruined some other uh, games that would have normally been uh, more high profile on this week's slate. But right now, with implications in the AFC North for this game, Browns Bengals looks like a, you know, possibly the best game on the schedule for us this week. And, you know, of course, we got a little bit of added drama to it with the Odell Beckham Jr. situation. He didn't practice, the team uh, gave him the day off. And it sounds like uh, maybe his tenure in Cleveland is already done. It seems like that's up in the air right now. So the I mean, the question that we have to ask now is, does this hurt the Browns? And, you know, losing a good player, even though he's obviously not the player that he once was, is, you know, it certainly doesn't help. So the Browns aren't better without him on the field. That's an absurd uh, statement for anyone to make. You, you want to have Odell Beckham Jr., even if he is, you know, 75% of what he used to be. Um, It definitely hurts them because they lose a little bit of depth, obviously, if he's not out there, but he's not having a great season. He has not been making a meaningful impact on the Browns. And, you know, I shared this on Twitter uh, earlier this week, so maybe you saw this already, but I think it really just drives home the point that, you know, they're not going to miss him in a really meaningful way. His absence will not change this offense in any way. Here's a look at the Browns receiving leaders for EPA on catchable targets. So look, Baker Mayfield's also not having a great season. You can certainly blame him for some of the drop in production for Odell Beckham. But if we just isolate catchable targets, that removes a lot of the effect that Mayfield has on this. We should expect Beckham to be among the Browns best players. If we just focus on those catchable targets, however, EPA on catchable targets. I'll just run through the list of the Browns leaders leading the way by a lot. Mind you, it's David and Joku followed by Harrison Bryant, Donovan Peoples-Jones, then Richard Higgins, Demetric Felton, Austin Hooper, Jarvis Landry, and then finally Odell Beckham Jr. So he's not been good this year. Even when Baker Mayfield is delivering him a catchable pass, he's not producing. So I don't think his absence really has a big impact on the Browns offense. As I said, it obviously hurts. They're not better without him. That's just ridiculous. But he's not doing what they brought him there to do, which is really be a game changer and stretch the field. And you know, to really drive home that point, since he got to Cleveland, Here's the Browns receiver's catch rate on throws 15 or more yards downfield. Again, this is why Beckham Jr. was there. He's a perfect complement to Jarvis Landry, who's great on the underneath stuff and the intermediate routes. Beckham was supposed to stretch the field. But of guys that are you know still on the team since 2019, their catch rate at 15 or more yards downfield. We've got Donovan Peoples-Jones leading the way at 79%. That's a really high rate and a you know fairly small sample size, so, you know, if he took on a bigger role in the offense, we would expect that number to drop, but obviously, you know, great start on to his career as far as what he's done on his limited opportunities. So 79% catch rate 
at 15 or more yards on field. Then we have Njoku at 67%. He's also done really well with the limited opportunities he's had over the past couple of years. Rashard Higgins at 65%. That's a really key number because he's probably taking, uh, stepping into an Odell Beckham Jr. role if Beckham Jr. is in fact done in Cleveland. Then we've got Jarvis Landry at 49%. Yeah, for what he is, that's perfectly respectable. That's not his job isn't to stretch the field. Most of those targets have come when the Browns were playing without OBJ, and he was basically forced to do that. So it's not great, but you know, it, you're also not expecting him to fill that role in your offense. And then Odell Beckham Jr. in Cleveland has only caught 42% of his throws at 15 or more yards outfield. That's terrible. He has not been good for the Browns. And Beckham Jr. supporters are going to say, you know, Baker Mayfield hasn't been great. That's true. Baker has not been great, especially this year. He's not been great throwing the ball downfield. But if Baker Mayfield is the reason for that really low number, how do you explain Rashard Higgins catching 65% of his catches at 15 more yards outfield? Because most of those targets for Rashard Higgins have come when he's filling in for Beckham, mostly last season, obviously. Same thing with Donovan Peoples-Jones. Most of those targets have come in when he's been when, when he's had to step in for Beckham. So, yeah, everything, all the complaints about Baker, they're legit. He's not having a great year. You know, he's never been an elite downfield passer. He probably never will be. But you can't blame him for Odell Beckham Jr.'s lack of success stretching the field when the guys who fill in for Beckham are producing at a much higher rate. So, you know, again... I'll, I'll just repeat myself. They're not better without him. You want the depth at the very least that he provides. He's still a respectable receiver. But this doesn't change the Browns offense because he hasn't been doing what he was really brought there to do. He's just not the difference maker. Higgins taking those snaps away from him. Peoples Jones possibly taking on a bigger role as well. The Browns are not meaningfully worse if those guys have to take on the targets that were supposed to be there for Odell Beckham. So as far as how this affects this matchup, I don't, I don't know. This is a tough game to predict. Um, I kind of lean towards the Browns, though, because I, I think maybe part of that line is uh, maybe reading a little too much into some of the Odell Beckham Jr. stuff, and I don't think that losing him uh, means anything. Now, I'll get into why I like the Browns a little bit more as we look at the Bengals. And, you know, I think from the Bengals side of things, we have to first just – start with what do we make of last week's loss to the Jets? I mean, the Bengals looked like they were really uh, moving in a positive direction when they upset the Ravens a couple of weeks ago. And then to follow that up with a loss to the Jets is embarrassing. Um, one of the things that I noticed that the Jets had success with was Mike White making his first career start. He basically just dinked and dunked his way to over 400 yards and the Bengals weren't able to stop it. He had 20 targets to his running backs. That's an extreme number. He also threw to the slot. 33% of the time. So, you know, he was just kind of taking what was there, which is, you know, from the Jets perspective, that's great. That's what you want your backup quarterback to do when he's forced into action. Just go out there, take what's given to you, don't make any mistakes. But the Bengals weren't able to stop him at any point, even when it was clear that that was all he was going to do. Mike White, he, he only threw the ball more than 10 yards seven times in that game with, I don't have the number right in front of me, but I believe it was over 40 attempts in that game. So, you know, he just took what was given to him and, you know, taking that a step forward into this week, that's what the Browns do best too. You know, we just went over some of the numbers. They're not great throwing the ball downfield. Most of their receivers have not done well trying to stretch the field. Maybe that gets a little bit better. We'll, we'll see. Maybe 
the guys filling in for uh, OBJ this week and improve the Browns in that area. But, you know, Mayfield, you know, as I said, Mayfield has had some struggles throwing downfield. He hasn't been particularly accurate. You know, so I don't think we can ever expect that to be a strength of the Browns with Mayfield at quarterback. So if I'm, the, if I'm the Browns coaching staff, I'd pay really close attention to what the Jets did and try to do a lot of the same stuff because the Browns have some playmakers after the catch. So, you know, a lot of their, some of their offseason moves uh, recently have been to improve that. You know, obviously they added Anthony Schwartz in the draft, Demetric Felton. I mean, those guys are playmakers. They've got, you know, their running backs can do damage after the catch as well. So I, if I'm them, I would try to do a lot of what the Jets did last week. And I think that would also help cover up, again, another one of their big weaknesses uh, in this game is likely going to be at right tackle where Blake Hans has to fill in for Jack Conklin. Hans really struggled last week trying to stop TJ Watt and the Steelers pass rush. But if you're the Browns, you can cover that up by just doing a lot of the short stuff. Well, just dink and dunk your way down the field like Mike White did. If the Bengals weren't able to quickly adjust to stop the Jets, I don't I wouldn't have a ton of confidence in expecting them to be able to stop that kind of a game plan for the Browns, even with a week to prepare. So, you know, I, I kind of like the Browns, you know, the line, as I said, it's at two and a half right now. It was at three. I would obviously like it better at three. Maybe you could just buy it up to three. If you're thinking about going that direction, I'm, I'm not sure if this is one that I'm actually going to play. Maybe I'll wait to see on some of the other, uh, minor injury stuff in this game and see where the line moves and whatnot. But, you know, if, if I had to play this game in an office pool or something, I, I like the Browns against the spread in this one. <clears throat> All right, let's now talk about Titans Rams on Sunday night. Obviously, you know, this game would be a heck of a lot more interesting if Derrick Henry were healthy, but I, I do think it's an interesting game, at least to analyze, you know, you know, maybe without Henry, maybe the Titans just take a huge step back and the Rams cruise in an easy victory. That's certainly possible, but you know, it, it's interesting because the Titans are obviously, you know, in control in the AFC South. They're a good bet to make the playoffs, even without Derrick Henry, uh, even if he is going to miss the entire season. So <clears throat> I, th- I think we're going to learn a lot about that. And one of the things that will be key to watch is how they continue to use play action or do they continue to use play action? Obviously that's a big part of their game. And, you know, this has been discussed a lot this week because play action is such an important part of their game. And there's an assumption that they have a lot of success doing that because of Derrick Henry, that teams want to stack the box that, you know, defensive players want to cheat up a little bit more against Derrick Henry. And so it makes their play action pass that much more productive. You know, we, we know that the play action is productive across the board. It doesn't matter who your running back is. Using play action is helpful. Uh, and, you know, we really haven't seen a point where using play action it, it too much exists. You know, we aren't, we aren't sure if there is such a thing as too much play action. You know, theoretically, there is a point out there, but just no team has used it to a degree that it uh, we've seen diminishing returns from it yet. So... I don't see any reason why the Titans shouldn't continue to use play action. And we do have a little bit of evidence that they will continue to use it and possibly to continue to have success with it because in 2019, Henry missed their week 16 game against the saints. Now this is particularly interesting because the saints went 13 and three that year. They had the 11th overall uh, defense ranked in for his total defense. And in that game with uh, Deion Lewis filling in for Derrick Henry, obviously massive downgrade there they still use play action 33 percent of the time and off play action in that game ryan Tannehill was 9 of 11 
for 174 yards, two touchdowns. So despite the fact that they didn't have Derrick Henry, that they had Deion Lewis back there, who defenses obviously, although he was a you know perfectly fine running back, defenses weren't scared of him like they may be of Derrick Henry. And the play action was used at a high rate and was extremely successful against a good defense. So if I'm the Titans coaching staff, I'm not changing anything about the game plan, at least as far as play action is concerned. Uh, you know, obviously they probably want to dial down their run usage overall a little bit, but you know, when it comes to play action, I'm still using it at the exact same rate. I might may even try to use it more because, you know, obviously you're losing some productivity without having Henry. So I would lean on that a lot. And against the Rams defense, that should put you in a good space. You know, obviously every defense is a little bit worse against play action, but it seems to affect the Rams to an even higher degree. A non-play action plays, they're forcing teams into negative 0.7 EPA per play. That ranks 11th in the league. Off play action, teams are earning plus 0.11 EPA per play. That ranks 17th, so slightly uh, below average. So again, you know, seeing how they've had success, obviously a very small sample size, but they have had success without Derrick Henry using play action. The Rams struggle to some degree, at least by their standards on defense, when they're facing against play action. I would I would use it a lot, and I, I expect them to use it. So, you know, the Rams are favored by 7.5 in this game. I kind of lean towards the Titans just because I think that there might be a little bit of an overreaction to how much the Titans are going to miss Derrick Henry. Henry hasn't been super productive this year. The, the overall numbers are incredible, but it's really about, it's been a volume-based production for him. You know, he hasn't been breaking off a ton of long runs. He's getting stuffed behind the line of scrimmage at a very high rate this season. I don't know that it's the just massive crippling downgrade that some analysts have made it out to be this week. I think that, you know, as long as they just sort of stay course, they'll be just fine. And, you know, I certainly expect the Rams to still win this game, especially because they're at home, but I like the Titans chances to keep this game uh, within a touchdown. So I, I, if I were picking a side, I'm definitely going Titans. Let's now talk about the other big game out there that, or at least, you know, it was a big game before the news broke on Wednesday that Aaron Rodgers, due to COVID protocols was not going to be suited up for the Packers at the chiefs. Uh, the Chiefs are now favored by a touchdown. This was previously, they were favored by one point. Uh, the total for this game was previously 53 and a half. It's now down to 48 and a half. So a pretty big swing there. Obviously most of that happening because we're just expecting the Packers offense uh, to not be as productive. Uh, previously, I really liked the Packers in this matchup as, as an underdog. I thought, you know, that's just too much respect to give the Chiefs, given what their defense looks like. It's, you know, it's probably the worst unit in the league. It's an absolute mess. Uh, without Aaron Rodgers, obviously I'm much, much less confident in the Packers' uh, ability to win this game outright, but I still kind of like them getting a touchdown. As long as if that number stays, you know, above a touchdown, I like it. You, you know, even if it were to drop to 6.5, I think I would still like the Packers in this matchup. And basically, it all comes down to the Chiefs' run game. They can't stop anybody against the runs. They, you know, there's all kinds of numbers that we could throw out to highlight just how bad it is. But you know, I've I've picked one that I noticed this week that really stood out to me, and that's you know we're going to throw out red zone plays because obviously that throws off some rushing numbers a little bit. But outside the red zone, 49% of first down rush attempts against the Chiefs 
have produced five or more yards and 15% of first down rush attempts against them produce another first down. So basically, obviously giving up five yards on first down, normally, you know, analytics people are suggesting that we don't run the ball on first down as often, but Hey, if you can pick up five yards on first down, keep running. Like that's a second and five is a perfectly fine spot for you to be after first down. But the, 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 the other half of that stat that I mentioned, the 15% of first down rush attempts against the chief produce another first down. That's one out of every seven times you run the ball on first down, you're getting a first down. That's just the chiefs run defense is awful. They can't stop anybody. And I like the pack, the chances of the Packers ability to run the ball against them. I would say that their strategy going into this game without Aaron Rodgers should be, let's just go out there and just run the ball down their throat and force them to stop us. And if they start sacking the box too much and you get some one-on-one matchups every so often, mix in some play action and trust, uh, trust Jordan Love to, you know, make a couple plays for you. I think he's certainly capable of that. If you, you know, lighten his workload a lot, let him have that play action uh, work to his advantage. That would be my strategy. I, I mean, I think they can run the ball. You know, one of the reasons for that is they like running the ball in 11 personnel and the Chiefs have been, you know, predictably terrible. Uh, against 11 personnel, they rank 31st in the league, giving up 5.5 yards per attempt. So I, I don't know why they wouldn't just come out running the ball. And that leads me to one of the prop bets that I like this week. It's I like the over on A.J. Dillon. Now, this line hasn't been posted yet, but – I particularly like this line with the Packers as seven point underdogs, because we've seen the Packers as underdogs twice earlier this season. And in those games, Dylan's rushing yards prop was available at 30 and a half and at 19. You know, if we get a number anywhere in that range, I like the over, because as I said, we should probably expect the Packers to come out with a very run heavy game. And although they certainly lean on Aaron Jones, especially early in the game, Dylan sees most of his action in the second half and they're trying to run out the clock with the lead. But if we're expecting a much heavier run volume in this game, I would also expect Dylan to get more early touches in this game. They should use him a lot to try to wear down the chief's defense. And I, you know, I think they should have success when Dylan carries the ball in 11 personnel, as I mentioned, that's the Packers preferred uh, package. He's averaging 5.5 yards per attempt. Uh, identical to what the Chiefs are giving up, which ranked 31st in the league, as I said. So this looks like a really good matchup for him when he gets opportunities. And, you know, even if we say that number's on the high end, but we saw it at 30.5, you know, he could easily go over that in like six or seven carries. So I think this is a great matchup for him. I think we should expect increased usage based on the fact that Aaron Rodgers isn't out there. So I, I really like the over, assuming we get it at that number. Yeah, you know, obviously, you know, who who knows? how the lines are going to adjust. Maybe, maybe it rises significantly higher than that. If it were, if it got to maybe 45 or so, I would probably just stay away from it at that point. But, you know, based on what we saw before, you know, 30.5 as an underdog, you know, I really like that. And I would certainly take that even if it, you know, went to 35, maybe even into the high thirties. I think we should, we should definitely see Dylan get a pretty heavy workload in this game. And, you know, there's no reason to think he won't run all over the Chiefs defense when he gets uh, an opportunity. Let's move on now to talk about a few other prop bets that I like this week. And another one I'm going to take the over on, and that's for Debo Samuel's receptions. This line hasn't been posted, but it's been pretty consistently at five and a half over the past couple of weeks. And 
it has a lot to do with this matchup against Arizona. Obviously, their defense has been playing pretty well, but you know, I, I think I see a, a specific matchup here that should lead to increased usage for him. I also think that there's a chance we get a favorable number here. I certainly don't expect it to be more than 5.5. Maybe we'll get lucky and it'll be 4.5. He has had a few games of it at four and a half this season. In their last meeting, he only had three receptions. So that's the reason why I'm wondering if maybe we'll get a more favorable number. That was Trey Lance's first career start, however. So that was obviously part of the reason why I really don't put any stock into that low number against Arizona. Arizona blitzed Trey Lance 40% of the time, which wasn't shocking because they do blitz at the fourth highest rate in the league. And Lance really struggled predictably for a rookie. He only had five completions on 14 dropbacks against the Arizona blitz. Uh, I expect Arizona to have the same strategy facing Jimmy Garoppolo. As I said, they blitz at the fourth highest rate in the league, but this is really key for Samuel. Garoppolo has been great when facing the blitz this year. He's averaging 11.8 yards per attempt against the blitz. That's the third best in the league. He's producing positive EPA 63% of the time against the blitz. That's the second best rate in the league. So, you know, that definitely makes me think there's something that Garoppolo is doing probably just you know, based on experience, he's doing, he's identifying the blitz ahead of time, which Trey Lance as a rookie, understandably just wasn't able to do. So he really struggled. seems like Garoppolo is doing that. And another key number here is that on blitzes, Debo Samuels is a 44% target share. It's a big jump from his 30% target share on non-blitz dropbacks. And I think that number, you know, even though it's a relatively small sample size, you know, team's typically only blitz around, you know, 25 to 30% of the time. I think it's meaningful because it makes sense given Samuel's role in the offense. He's seen 46% of his targets within five yards of the line of scrimmage. So it's pretty much all underneath stuff when they're getting him the ball. And so if you, when a quarterback identifies the blitz, especially if you identify it before the snap, what are you trying to do? you know where your receivers are going. You want to go to the guy who's running those routes to get open quickly. So I think anytime Garoppolo is identifying a blitz or anticipating a blitz before the snap, he knows where Samuel is on most of those, on most of his routes, he's getting open quickly on underneath stuff. And so he's just following the ball Samuel's way every time he thinks a blitz is coming. So that usage really makes sense. And so if we know that, Arizona is likely to blitz at a very high rate in this game. I think we should expect a little slight boost to his target volume. And again, any receiver who's seeing a lot of targets on the sh- on those short routes, you know, you're going to catch a very high percentage of those. So if this number is available at five and a half, I like it. If we get lucky and it's available at four and a half, I love it at that number. We'll go to another receiver now, but this time I'm going to take the under on Allen Robinson's receiving yards. This number isn't available yet. It's gone under for four straight weeks. So I'm a little bit worried we're going to get a number that's too low to take, but it was available at 45 and a half last week. And I would definitely take it at that number. If this number gets below 40, I think that's where I stay away. So I think 40 and a half is probably like the lowest that I would go with it. Hopefully we get it around 45 and a half where it was last week. That That feels like a pretty fair number. And I definitely like the under And, you know, I hate to pick on Justin Fields again because, you know, two weeks in a row, uh, we bet the under on his passing yards. Both of them were winners, though. So I feel like I feel like we've got a pretty good handle on his uh, this Bears offense right now. And, you know, Allen Robinson and Justin Fields, they just don't have a connection right now. I'll I'll throw out a few numbers here. Thirty two percent 
of Allen Robinson's intended air yards with Justin Fields at quarterback have been catchable. So something's missing here. They're just not on the same page. Something's not right about this connection. That adds up to only 29 catchable air yards per game for Robinson. Now, his usage has been just fine. He's averaging five targets per game, a 16.5 average depth of target. So they're using him. Maybe at some point this turns around and he and Fields get on the same page. But, you know, with him seeing less than a third of his intended air yards as catchable air yards right now from Fields, you know, we've seen a big enough sample size to say that that's like a really legitimate red flag. That's not a fluke. That's a trend this deep into the, into Fields season. So, you know, I don't see any reason to think that he's capable of, you know, having a big game and going over that 45 and a half mark that I mentioned, you know, anything, anything uh, north of 40 yards, I'm taking the under this week because something's just off. And, you know, it also has a little bit to do with the matchup. The Pittsburgh defense obviously has been, strong this year and specifically have been strong defending downfield. They're allowing a 42% completion rate at 15 or more yards. That ranks ninth in the league. 37% of Robinson's targets from field have been at least 15 yards downfield. So, you know, they're still using Robinson to stretch the field, which is somewhat, uh, somewhat, you know, we can be somewhat hopeful for him long-term. Like if you own him in a dynasty league or something, you know, as long as he's in Chicago, they're going to keep throwing to him downfield. And at some point we expect fields to turn it around, but it's just not happening right now. These, these two are just not on the same page. Something's not right. So, you know, take the Robinson under this week. And if, if it's a winner again, you know, maybe we go back right back to it next week because, you know, that, that's just not working out for them right now. Let's turn our attention now to the Thursday night game. We got Jets at Colts. Colts favored by 10 and a half. The total set to 46 and a half. I, as far as this game is concerned, I'm kind of leaning towards the Jets. I liked what I saw from them. We talked, I talked about it briefly how Mike White just kind of took what was given to him against the Bengals. And that's what you want from a backup quarterback. Take what's given to you and don't make mistakes. Uh, you know, he, he obviously did have some mistakes in that game. It, it was not a perfect game by any means, but you know, I liked his approach and I liked the, uh, the play calling approach too. They weren't asking him to do too much. They kept it really simple. And I think that that's a strategy that can work against the Colts as well. Certainly don't like them to pull off another upset in back-to-back weeks, but you know, 10 and a half is a pretty big number. I think that they've got a pretty decent shot at keeping this game relatively close. And another thing that I like about this matchup is the fact that the Colts don't blitz very often. And that seems to be, again, predictably for an inexperienced quarterback, although he's not a rookie, he is basically seeing his first action. Um, the Bengals only blitzed 20% of the time last week, which is about on par for their uh, season average. They're not a heavy blitzing team. But when he was blitzed, White produced negative 1.7 EPA last week. When he wasn't blitzed, plus 2.7 EPA. So if he were going up against a team that blitzed a lot, I would have a lot of concerns about his ability to produce, you know, as I would with any rookie or, you know, inexperienced quarterback. Uh, But the Bengals didn't blitz him a whole lot. And so he was able to take advantage of their defense and the Colts. They only blitz 19% of the time, which ranks 22nd in the league. Now it is possible that unlike the Bengals staff, the Colts are smart enough to increase their blitz rate because we did see them, go up against Davis Mills and the Texans and the Colts blitz 29% of the time. So a pretty big increase 
from their season rate in that game when they face a rookie quarterback. And again, you know, any inexperienced quarterback, it makes sense to blitz them more because you're going to force them to make fast decisions. And most rookies are just not equipped to make those decisions. So, you know, maybe the Colts go into this game and they blitz them at a much higher rate. So that's one of my, one of the reasons why I'm a little hesitant to bet the Jets in this game, but based on the Colts tendencies, based on think, based on how Mike White just sort of took what was given to him, I do lean towards the Jets. If I were, Picking this game in an office pool or something, I would definitely go that direction against the spread. There's also a uh, prop bet that I like in this game, and it's, again, related to Mike White's performance last week. And I'm taking the over on Jamison Crowder's receptions. It's available at five and a half. That's a little bit high. I was hoping we'd get it at four and a half, but it is at plus 105. So I I still think you can justify taking it there. Um, And it has a lot to do with, you know, Mike White's usage thrown to the slot last week. I mentioned off the top 33% of the time he was throwing to the slot. Uh, and that resulted in nine total targets for Crowder, six targets in the slot, three targets while he was lined up wide. And obviously as, you know, 10 and a half point underdogs, we would have certainly expect this to be a high passing volume game. So based on that usage, another high passing volume game, I think Crowder's, you know, should easily match that nine targets again. And, you know, if he has six targets or six receptions on nine targets, you're a winner. I think that seemed like a very, realistic expectation i'm also factoring in the colts defense into this you know obviously the colts are a fairly reliable defense this year but they rank 25th as far as epa per target to slot receivers so they've struggled there and it has a lot to do with kenny moore which you know if, if you haven't paid close attention to his production this year that might surprise you uh coming into the season pro football focus named him their top slot cornerback in the league so to call him out as a liability you know is you know it's probably surprising. Uh, I certainly wouldn't have anticipated having this take prior to the season, but, you know, we've seen a big enough sample size now to think that this is a pretty legitimate concern. As far as, you know, I mentioned PFF, they ranked him number one in the league entering the season. That was obviously partially based off their grades from last year. They had him at a 73.8 last year. That's dropped to a 55.2. Now, regardless of your opinion about how PFF does their grading. I think if, as long as you're using the same grading scale, comparing a player from year to year, seeing that massive difference, you know, is definitely a big red flag. Something's obviously off here. You know, he's also allowing a 63% completion rate uh, when he's lined up over guys in the slot. So a guy like Crowder, who does a great job getting open on those short routes, you know, knowing that Mike White is likely to target the slot at a high rate, likely to have a high passing volume that seems like a, we're checking a lot of boxes as far as expecting a really high volume for Crowder so I like the over at 5.5 as I said I was hoping it would be available at 4.45 where we've had it for the past couple of weeks so you know shop around if you're able to find it at that I know not all of the books have posted their props yet as I looked around earlier today so shop around a little bit maybe you can find it at 4.5 in that case I like it a lot if it's at 4.5 but Five and a half, seem, you know, especially if you're getting it at plus 105, I think that's a bet that you can still place and expect him to have six or seven targets in this matchup against the Colts. That's all for today's show. Hope you all have a fun and profitable week nine, and I'll catch you next week. 